Welcome to Who Knew. We are fans of the current series of Doctor Who, and here we discuss our likes, dislikes, and insights into the modern regeneration of the show. Subscribe, review, and listen to us on iTunes and Stitcher, or our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash whonewpodcast. All our episodes are on whonewpodcast.com. You can leave comments there, or email us at whonewpodcast at gmail.com. We also have an Instagram and Twitter account. Tweet at us at whonewpodcast. And find us on Facebook. Today's episode is episode 9 of season 5, Cold Blood. Can the Doctor broker peace between the two indigenous races of Earth? This episode is written by Chris Chibnall, directed by Ashley Way. It originally aired on the 29th of May, 2010, and was watched by 5.7 million viewers. Hi, this is Eugene. Let's introduce ourselves. This is Josh. Hello, this is Frank. As Kelsey. Hello, this is Auburn. This is Brian. The Doctor and Nazarene search the underground city and are captured. The Silurian Doctor, Maloke, is about to cut into Amy for some invasive probing, but is called away to examine the Doctor and Nazarene instead. Before he leaves, Amy steals the locking controls from his pocket and frees herself and Mo. As they look for an escape to the surface, they find Mo's son, Elliot. He is trapped in a glass chamber with medical vines attached to his body. Amy says he is fine for now, and they need to find the doctor to get him out. So this episode, like we mentioned in last episode, is different in that it has a voiceover. And I don't think we've had another voiceover since the end of time, the last episodes of David Tennant. I think you're right. And so it's strange that it's also an historic voiceover, historic narration, saying this is the past. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of that whole Amy and Rory waving at themselves again. Uh, yep. I mean, this is the past. And uh, the director on the DVD commentary said that the voiceover was added by Stephen Moffat. Hmm. That was his voice? He said he uh, wanted it to be added. It's I, I, I thought it was Maloke. It's no, it's not El- Eldane. Oh, oh, Eldane, the, the leader. Leader. I thought Kelsey would really be happy with this opening because it did not have a five-minute you know, summation and quick fix of mm. what happened in the previous episode. <laughs> yeah. This actually continued the story completely. It didn't fix anything in the first few minutes. Yeah, I don't even... Well, I guess it did, kind of, the whole Amy part. Of, yes. She's about to be dissected. The Amy part is completely fixed. Yes. But maybe the fact that it doesn't involve the doctor just quickly solving something mm-hmm. uh, because I didn't even notice it myself when I was watching but it does it. definitely solve it super quick it's different than a regular cliffhanger it was just a cut It's it would flow right. completely it wasn't the main oh no what's going to happen to our heroes yeah. it was we got saved you know just a quick little okay yeah oh over here we have to go do this now you can't do that which they do all the time but it didn't feel like a regular cliffhanger right. well please please remind me how did the last episode end the doctor is coming up towards Amy to start dissecting her. Okay. Uh, Rory, Tony, and Ambrose go to see Alea, who's toys with their minds, saying one of them will kill her. Tony leaves, sees the venom spreading. Amy wakes up and is now tied, blah, blah, blah. Um, and the doctor and Nazarene just see the, the huge, army. And it's like, city. oh, there's a whole civilization, not the army. The right. civilization, the city's there. So there's nobody really in danger. It's just giving Except us a lot more information. Uh, Amy definitely did address that Elliot was in suspended animation and all that stuff, but it was def- there was no m- maternal empathy <laughs> at all for uh, Mo and his child. I mean, I get it, and, and she 
she's used to being in, no, sort of used to being in spaceships now. It's like, yeah, 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 this stuff happens all the time, we'll be fine. But uh, I felt that was slightly glossed over, but whatever. She's getting a lot more confident in all this and taking yeah. control. But even him going along with her actually was more, okay, that she must be right. What right. else am I going to do? And it all, I mean, what are you going to do? You can't digress for a whole big moment to have. And it also shows the difference between him and his wife, not Felicia Day, um, <laughs> how she couldn't let go and, and, and try to work the situation, whereas he's he understands that there's things to do. Mm-hmm. I liked how the, the previously on, I think, ended with the doctor saying nobody dies today. Yeah. Still, like, yeah. kind of that. Just keeping it in our we, mind. Yeah, and we know it's, it's foreshadowing. And then um, Amy ask the dad Mo to trust her and that's a very like I feel like this season especially with the doctor the doctor has been telling everybody trust me like and I will fix the situation now Amy's kind of taking that same mm-hmm. language um, without the doctor there with her I thought that was cool how do you all like the pickpocketing it was kind of like what's very easy um, but it showed Amy it, it mean, shows she, her being formidable but also she picked the lock in the other episode oh uh, you're right London. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. You're right. It made sense. It made enough sense. It all happened too fast. I didn't. Sleight of hand. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, and I mean, like, this is kind of embarrassing, but I thought that he was putting that thing on Amy and that was disinfecting her. Now, having watched this again, I personally like to think that Malachi let her pickpocket him. Especially after what happened last episode. When you know that he has dissected a living being. <laughs> you know, Mo has the scar down his chest when he got dissected. It's like, he doesn't want them to go. But now maybe he's feeling remorseful for what he did. Anyway, is, is that's this just how you about. reconcile the two? Yeah, because Malik. Mal- uh, Malachi. is the one from our cliffhanger in the part one. And the one no, no, that it, would, it would be the opposite of what you he said. He saw how much it, it hurt uh, Mo, and he doesn't want to do that to someone else, so he feigned uh, not paying attention. Yes. To help her escape. And then the guy who did the dissection on Mo would be a different doctor, in my mind. All right. Ambrose confronts Rory and wants to know why he and the doctor are here. Rory promises her that they will get her family back. Tony goes to see Alea, who is surprised he is still alive. He begs for her to help him in exchange for her release. She refuses. She would much rather see him die than herself set free. Later, Ambrose notices the poison spreading on her father. I thought that was another weird thing. It was like, why aren't you dead yet? And it's like, well, why isn't he? If she thinks he should be dead, why isn't he dead yet? Where's some follow-up on that? I actually thought because he was getting medical treatment that uh, she didn't didn't even occur to her that these apes would have. What medical treatment? From Rory. Rory. Oh, at this point, Rory hasn't helped. He hasn't. Okay, from the medicine cabinet. Just, you know, anti-inflammatories, Benadryl. (laughs) Whatever it may be, they've evolved. Since also, too, it, they we used, we, they knew we later find out it wasn't actually poison. You know, that if she, if she's saying well, you should be dead by now, then why the hell isn't he dead? He's not some special person. I thought it was maybe another very unconscious sub uh, subconscious way of saying they're not they're more evolved than you think. Yeah, I thought it was that too, but I kind of wish that somebody had pointed it out. Yeah, someone said there's a lot of good ideas in both these episodes that they just don't bring out. Later on, they say that. You know, it's not meant to kill him. 
Right. So she knows that. She knows what she's doing. So yeah, again, this why shows she say, why? because she's playing with their mind. She wants to start oh. the war. Oh, oh, oh. I like that. I thought you were going to sing that song. Uh-oh. And this is how you can see how she's manipulating them. Right. Not to do what the doctor wants right. them to do. Right, right, right. Not right. to live up to what the best are. Go to the lowest common denominator they feel like. Right. Get them all scared. You get them all aggressive. Scaring them more. And this, this is why I see your point of the doctor being the bad guy. Because she's a bad guy and she's the one that we hearing talk Alea. yeah yeah what well, is the doctor a bad guy dr malakai malakai oh i was actually meant the doctor <laughs> well earlier when the doctor said uh when uh frank was talking about the doctor malakai but he didn't say malakai i immediately thought the doctor so it's just Sorry. like it's everything is going back and forth um and then in, in our at the end of our first part she's like one of you is going to kill me and i know who um, so when Tony approaches her, you start to think, oh, is it Tony? Is Tony going to, like, kill her? Yeah, she has her? no idea who's going to do it. She's you don't trying, think so? Not at that point. She's trying oh. to get everybody to be the one. So in a way, her. it's like she's trying to get them to kill her to start the war. I didn't pick up on that earlier. I like that. Because I don't think more she does not want to be used for peace. Right. She doesn't want to be traded back. You know, that's the Klingon warrior mentality right. thing. It's like you don't want to be a pawn. Because in that instance, a death would be better than returning failure. Mm. Right. Thank you. Restak and Malke bring the doctor and Nazarene back to his lab and discover Amy and Mo have escaped. Malake begins decontaminating the doctor, which causes him enormous pain. The doctor begs him to stop and says it hurts because he is not human. Malake checks his equipment, sees the two hearts, and stops the decontamination. Restak, the warrior leader, wants more information about the Doctor's invasion force. The Doctor says they want to exchange Alea for the humans captured by the Silurians. Restak plans to send their corpses to the surface as a declaration of war. This bit about the Doctor and the decontamination, removing the human part that keeping him, that's keeping him alive, reminded me of the Eighth Doctor being half-human. It did seem like that. Mm-hmm. I didn't quite understand the logic behind what he was saying about that. I didn't either, but I didn't. I liked it. I, liked I like. It. I was like, oh, was that's like, kind of neat. Germs that's interesting. are keeping him alive. Yeah, and what? then and then a tomato would help balance all that out. Well, <laughs> celery. 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 Throw back to the other doctor. The fifth doctor. Oh, the fifth okay. doctor who right. had celery as a boutonniere. Yeah. Uh, but he also thought it was restorative. Yes. Mm. Kind of like chocolate okay. if you go against a. Dementor. Thank you. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so what is what? What was he saying about the human germs keeping him alive? That's what he said. The human germs are keeping me alive. Or okay. something. If you decontaminate me, then you're removing something that's keeping me alive. But they're removing everything that's not human. Oh. Because, but they're oh, trying to strip oh, out oh, any contaminants that will happen to them. And it's like these are basic oh. ones that the humans can have. So it's taking all those decontaminants away that are not strictly so human. So you would they are stripping the time so lord the, out of them? Yeah. So they're attacking. Galfrayan genetics. Okay. Because they're not human. Identifying uh, that. A guy got you. They should have a podcast that explains this stuff out there to make it more <laughs> enjoyable for people who watch the episodes and don't quite get it. But not for the classic one, just for the new who. Podcast. Well, every now and then a classic one is. It's like a little, okay. a little, yeah. quick, <laughs> a little quick, uh, quick listen. I felt like it's been a few episodes since we had Matt Smith being in pain, so it was good oh. to see <laughs> I, I did like him getting zapped in this uh, chair thing more than him getting zapped by the door in Venice. Yeah. <laughs> I agree with that. Uh, okay. <laughs> Moving on. The door in Venice is more like... <laughs> 
Wow, that was really good, Matt Smith there, Josh. Yeah. As we mentioned, we have uh, Aaliyah. She's played by Neve McIntosh, and she also plays Restack. Which is which is cool because it's the features are similar, but she plays each sister differently. Like mm-hmm. her voice is different yeah. for each sister, which is neat. And I only noticed for the first time watching it this time that she has a scar as well. Yeah. Well, yeah. the warrior one or Restack. the or one down Restack. there, the one downstairs. Okay. Well, Restack also has uh, red reddish scales. Oh, I'm colorblind. That's what I was gonna say. You know. probably didn't pick up on that, <laughs> nope, but that's all. what she's got that makes her different as well. Amy and Moe find chambers similar to Elliot's containing dormant Silurians, placed on transport disks that lead to the surface. They've stumbled onto an entire waiting army. Taking some weapons, they continue to search for the Doctor. I haven't watched the classic one in a long time, or even if I've seen it all the way through, I can't remember. The third Doctor one? The the third Doctor when he first meets the Silurians. So something similar happened then. Yeah, every time the Doctor has encountered the Silurians, he wants to broker peace, and... It just doesn't happen. But it's like since he's done it before, I got that. Okay, well, I know how to get up to to a certain spot. So Mm. it's like, that's why it feels like he's shortcutting, going, no, well, I know how to get these people up to the table at least or something. And it's like, this isn't working the way it's supposed to because it's a different tribe. It's a different, you know, city city of people who deal with things differently. So this race, the Salarians, they were in classic who? Like they... Okay, I wish there was like a disclaimer on the Who knew ep- on the the rebooted Doctor Who episodes because there's like sometimes they will always reference the Doctor's like oh yes I met this race before and then we'll talk about the episode here and we'll be like so which episode in Classic Who and you're like oh no that was just a line like it's like in comic books when the little asterisk panel is there to tell you what issue to go back to. yeah yes. it's like oh, a, a footnote by the editor like see issue twelve so for our listeners see season three. Uh, no, see oh. the <laughs> see the third Doctor and oh, third doctor. doctor Who and the Silurians. Okay, so that's the one with the Silurians and the <laughs> and the Doctor. Oh, and the okay. series is called the Doctor and the Silurians. The story. The story arc. The story. The Doctor tells Nazarene that the Silurians went into hibernation because a planet was heading to Earth on a crash course. They went underground to wait for the Earth to recover, but the object went into orbit instead, becoming the egg. Uh, I'm sorry, the moon. No catastrophe <laughs> happened, and humans evolved. Restak and Malake want to know about the other Silurians who told him this, but he admits the humans fought them and they died. Okay, I didn't catch that when she was explaining it. Something about the moon, like I, I caught a piece of it, it became the moon. That's how it happened. Yeah, yeah, I know, but... Uh, <laughs> Literally. It wasn't. I didn't realize that's what she was saying until just now. Do you remember that episode in A Later Doctor? Oh, well, I remember with the egg, yeah, but I don't remember... But that's not related. That, that was happening. It was just they saw a planet coming that looked like it was going to crash into the Earth, and it didn't crash into the Earth. It became the moon instead. And, and then they, that's when they hit underground. Okay. So they're just really not basing I mean, anything else. That's like millions of years, isn't it? When but that's not the how the moon, the moon was formed. <laughs> Am I wrong? It's a theory. Kelsey, when they first saw the army, you mentioned the music cue there. You really liked it. Ah. Uh... Yeah, I wish I knew. When the doctor remember. and Nazarene saw the army, it was like a mm-hmm. three beat. It was like a three note that that repeats itself. Like, and it's used throughout this episode. Yeah, not just it builds. It yeah. builds. It's like that three note, Eugene, bum, bum, bum. and then there's like a long 
couple measure pause. Yeah, it's like uh, it's a cue that something sinister is going on. I think that's how they yeah. used it in this I like, episode. I like it mm-hmm. because it lets me know something sinister. Is happening. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I like my music to spoon feed me. When uh, Mo and Amy are going through, I guess the tunnels, and they see the two Silurians that were, I guess, in stasis. It reminded me of like Slee Stacks yeah. from yes, uh, Land totally. of the Lost. Totally Sleestackian. Yeah. And and they oh. said um, that they had to freeze frame those two actors because cause you can see them breathe, even uh, though that they're told to stay still. Yeah. I did find, even though the set was pretty remarkable and the, and the outfits were really great, like it's high quality production, but because, again, this is new HD, um, it felt very... There was no um, distance between like uh, the fantasy part of watching a show and then the reality. Like when the, when the glass would rise, it, it felt very you know homespun. It felt kind of classic Doctor. Low rent. That's what I was trying to say. Low rent with the the the, the way so advanced and the glass moves kind of like somebody yeah, pulling yeah, yeah. it. Uh, sorry. Ambrose goes to Alea and threatens her with a stun gun in order to get the antidote to cure her father. Alea taunts her into using the gun, and Ambrose does, many times. Rory and Tony hear Alea's screams and run to the basement. Rory tries to save her, but Alea dies. Below, Restak takes Nazarene and the doctor to their courtroom for execution. Malachi argues that she doesn't have the authority. Amy and Mo show up, demanding they let the others go, but Restak grabs their weapons and prepares them all for execution. I like how Alea brought them there because earlier Malachi said that they had the same rank. They were equal. Restak? You're right. Ask this wrong one. (laughs) I like how Restak brought them there because earlier Malachi said that they were the same rank. So that was nice. And so bringing them here, she said, no, this is where it's now a war tribunal. I have the rank Mm -hmm. and she can kick them out. Oh, so, nice. I didn't, I didn't I never, notice that. I didn't get that at first. So why do you have to do this? So this is where we put our executions. It's like, so what? But to me, it's like, oh, she's doing that. So she has the proper proper rank and she can she has the power now. So you may not have picked up on that because I didn't at first, but I thought that was really I cool way of doing it. I did catch that she, because it was a war situation, she's in charge. I didn't catch it was because of the room. I really like the... Um, uh, what's that called when you put something side by side? Juxtaposition. Yeah, yeah. Juxta- I really like the juxtaposition of what's happening above ground, what's happening below, and how the doctor left the people on above ground with the specific commands of like, do not harm this captive. She's the bargaining chip. He gets below Earth, and now, like, the first thing the person in charge is like, we're gonna kill you, like and the cutting back and forth and the pacing of everything. I did feel it had, a, again, a little bit of a classic Who vibe going on here. And this happens a lot when you have a bunch of warriors with weapons and someone gets uh, is distracted and then our heroes grab the weapons out of the warriors' hands. And, you know, the, these are trained warriors who, have, who are supposed to be scary that they will take over the world that already is inhabited by mil- billions of humans but they can be easily get their weapons out of their hands by a couple of ragamuffins. Well, they were in stasis, weren't they? No, this is during the scene. It may not have actually happened yet. When there's, okay. there's like a tussle in the room, in, the, oh. in this trial room. That's later. But before yeah. this, no, no. they were in stasis. No. Right, at, at the end it says... Amy and Mal show up. Just yeah, yeah. Uh, Amy and Mo show up, demanding that they let the others go, and, but Restack grabs their weapon 
and prepares them all for execution. Okay, there was that. But then the way they get out of the execution, which we'll talk about in a minute, is a whole, you know, like, Zoink, Scoob, grab the gun! I mean, we didn't, sorry, we didn't see them in Stasis Auburn, but I think story-wise, we're to believe that everyone was in, still in Stasis until the drill got close enough to Yeah, but that's not what I'm yeah. talking about. I'm talking about when they have this a tussle in the room in no, just a little bit. I know, and I think oh. Auburn's point was like, we'll give them, cut, cut them some slack, oh, Josh. They were just in stasis for like a million oh, years. No, that wasn't my point. <laughs> That point, wasn't what you meant. Mo and Amy got no. their weapons from the Silorians that were in stasis. Oh yes, yes, yeah. yes. Oh, that's what you were saying. Yeah. Oh, and God. I liked that Rustak was able to disarm me yeah. really easily. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> fine. <laughs> Please, we do this when yeah. I was a kid. But then like, this is the exact opposite happens in a few minutes. What's really cool about having the warrior cast of the Silorians being all women, as far as I think we've seen, is that you know between Aaliyah and Ambrose and Amy and Restack, there's a lot of, and Nazarene, there's a lot of uh, women communicating to other women in a scene. That is something that you don't often have. Like, I think it's getting better, but, you know, I just noticed that there was a lot of uh, scenes with just two women in them talking to each other, being on different sides of the story, which I think was really cool in in this I noticed it too. I don't think it's something, I mean, something we're seeing more and more in movies today. And it, it's something that happens quite often today. But considering this was, what, 2010? Mm-hmm. Um, I did think the same thing. Like, oh, this is kind of the start of it. Mm-hmm. But it's all women are the warring class, you know. And, and it makes me think of lions. Women do the hunting. Well, women nature, because um, all the, the bees in the hive are all female. Orchard. The ones that are the worker bees oh. are the female. They're the ones that... Is that right? I thought the worker bees were male and the queen was female. Once the males do the job of impregnating the queen, they they kick the males out. Mm. But I think more than that, for story-wise, it's just women have gotten good roles in this episode. I mean, they're the ones protagonists. They're the ones who are making everything happen. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's not written as a woman is making this happen. Yes. These are just good characters that they're portraying well. And that being Mm. said, I didn't feel like the men characters were downplayed at all. No. No, not at all. Because that, that tends to happen, too, when you have an agenda for one sex or race or whatever, it kind of dumbs down the others. I thought it was pretty even. Yeah, I felt that the conflict between Restak and Eldane was, like, well thought out. Yeah. Because it's they're three-dimensional characters, and it's not just one character against another. It's, like, a character's ideals yeah. against another character's ideals. It's kind of like Doctor Who in this episode is a little ahead of its time. Maybe ten years ahead of its time. <laughs> Wibbly wob. Well, it was 2020, so we'll see what next year brings. That's right. Oh, so maybe they were right on spot, yeah. right on point. There you go. Yeah. Talk about foreshadowing of reality. Yeah. Yeah. So the lizard people are coming next year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Leia is really taunting her, and she went down there thinking that it's a stun gun or whatever the electronic. I don't yeah. know what that actually right. was. A taser. Was yeah. it a taser? Because it just looked different. More, it's a gun rather than the one that's. Yeah, that's they had, what they look like. Yeah. It's like more electronic with yellow on it to signify it's like electric. Not a gun. Yeah. I just remember the other different types. Of yeah, that's that, that, that's <laughs> not what they use now. <laughs> but so what is it? What is she holding? A taser. A taser. A taser. A taser. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's like she didn't realize how. I don't think she planned to kill her. You know, she didn't realize no. how much no, voltage didn't. that would take. Well, plus the, she's not human. For all you know, that wouldn't have killed a human. She's not upset about it, except how is it going to endanger yeah, her son? She's not sad that she killed someone. And she said that this, now she can't get her son back. And she did say, how could she not say? I would have said if I were being distressed like this. She's talking to her dad, Tony. 
stupid humans. Yeah, I, I definitely think Ambrose, like, it's those little decisions, like the decision to bring the gun, the decision to even talk to Alea is like, you know, you don't intentionally think you're going to kill them, but you're setting up all the pieces in place that that's how they are going to fall is one of those um, things that, you know, she ended up killing her intentionally or not. But I think in her head, she was not going down there with that intention, but she kept making those subconscious decisions along the way that led to it. And then I thought it was funny at this point, Rory comes in and tells, he's trying to save Alea and tells her you're not going to die. And then I think the very next shot is like her dying. <laughs> yeah, I feel just... so bad for Rory in this scene. Yeah. Because he, just the look on his face, the doctor's not going to like this. Or just like we we just well, did the exact that. opposite of what the doctor right. told us not to do, which was keep this captive alive so for him it's like uh you're not gonna die like i uh, yeah. I'll, I'll save you i have to save you and then nope and it's just like oh, that i like how um like there there is a lot of loss in this episode and it uh, like this one stayed permanent where i even watching it this past time um like i kept expecting well are they gonna like save her is there some weird silurian yeah. thing is maybe like she's just dormant right. yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. I, yeah. but it, it it was permanent yeah. and like they had to deal with we made this mistake and there's no going back where in doctor who there is often a way to go back and fix things well, this again reminds me of classic Who because when people die, they stay dead. Mm. Or like we just did Resurrection of the Daleks, that bystander in the beginning is, is dead. Mm -hmm. He stays dead. Then there's a high body count. I don't know. I just uh, feel that um, there's kind of like apologetic storytelling or ways that it's almost deus ex machina where everything gets reset at the end. Where in Doctor Who, they're known for keeping death death it's not like a comic book death right oh, yeah Restack establishes a video communication to a computer in the church basement and demands the release of Alea. Rory sees the doctor and Amy tied up along with Mo and Nazarene just as the firing squad prepares to shoot Amy the communication is shut down Moloke has returned with Eldane their leader who halts the execution and dismisses Restack from the room the doctor re-establishes communication and tells Rory to bring Alea below using the transport tubes quickly cuts the transmission. He says to Eldane that Nazarene and Amy are humans who can negotiate on behalf of their race and Eldane can speak for his. They begin talks on how to share the planet. The Doctor and Mo leave to get his son. What I like about this is Nazarene has proved herself to be someone who is worthy of this debate. Mm -hmm. You know, by now, like... Uh, yeah, she earned her place at the table. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Amy, whatever. But um, <laughs> I, I think that um, it felt okay to me because I felt like she was a formidable representative of the human race. And her reactions, again, are great. With right. Dr. Saying, you can do this, and her looking at him, and then she realizes, okay, I'm, I'm right. doing this. And just her face says so yeah. much. It's so great. I just love her reaction. And the thing, too, is that like the arguments she has, even though they're pretty obvious, um, I just took it all as um, she has a scientific knowledge and knowledge uh, just is knowledgeable enough that she can have any sort of debate that this politician, this leader, can have with her and give her give him every... If he's being reasonable, she'll have an answer. I also like the speech here with the doctor saying, this is not a fixed point in time. Mm -hmm. So what we do now changes the future. 
you know, showing yeah. a little foreshadowing of what's coming up. So that means like the doctor doesn't know the outcome. He hasn't seen a world where the Salaeans and the humans like live together. No, he may Earth. have, but this isn't a fixed point. Or and that's what he seems really excited about. Or it could not even happen. Right? I mean, what I like about it is that every time the doctor has said a fixed point in time, it's been this thing that is unchangeable. And I like that now this is a point that he doesn't know about specifically. Like he doesn't know the outcome of this particular peace talk. Well, how is he aware of that? Because he can yeah, just sense it. Or maybe because he doesn't know it. He's, he's a time lord. Yeah. So they know. He knows fixed points. <laughs> right. He knows non-fixed just... points. And he's just, he's got so much hope. Yeah. He's just saying, do good, be extraordinary. I love it. I think yeah, brilliant. and I like that. It's um, where, where the other speech in the previous episode doesn't hit me the way I think it's intended to. This one hits me where he's definitely telling people to do the best you can do in this moment. And I think it works here because it's, I guess, because it's the, the negotiating table. The peace talks. It's it's not. We're here to do a mission. It's here. We're we're representatives of our race to make a compromise or a solution for both to exist and coexist. And I feel like that is a much better message in this day and age than us versus them demonizing the other and us first, not anyone else. So I do like that, especially for a message for kids. I think that's very helpful for them in becoming adults. Yeah. And here we get to see uh, Eldane, who is played by Stephen Moore, and he is the voice of Marvin in the older Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy miniseries from BBC. He also played in one episode, Frankie the Mouse. And so Eldane is like the uh, leader of this race. Like the political leader. Or like Restak's like the general. I guess Malaka is... The science. The science leader, yeah. I, I, the world building is really cool like that you know you don't have this one villain you have an actual society with different factions within it right. that are also trying to keep their own power um, or gain more power so that's cool that the conflict's not just between the humans and the Salorians right. but it's not like internal. the Daleks or the Cybermen right, they just right. all have the same agenda I, yeah I like that that picture that they painted of Malachi just for the past what was it like 300 what did he say? He's like been researching the human race for the past 300 years? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He said for own. thousands of years his family has been doing it, but oh, okay. his family yeah. had passed on and now he's just been doing it for the past 300 years. That'll come back later. Oh, that said yeah, yeah. later. Oh, I thought we had, he had yeah. already said it. But yeah, Oliver and I remember you really liked that word, the courtroom, like the set mm-hmm. design. Oh, yeah. Looked the cor- really neat. Like it, and uh, because I watched the first episode again after watching uh, this episode I almost felt like the church in the town was also like had similar dimensions to the courtroom and uh, felt kind of also like uh, the Harry Potter courtroom I don't know if there's similar like sets that are just it, yeah, maybe. It, it also could be that's the standard layout of um, or yeah, judicial it's a, it's a large areas yeah. in Great Britain yeah that's true so it's something that people watching in the UK would automatically go, that's, right. that's a, a hearing. That's a courtroom. Yeah. yeah. But I like what you were saying about the characters. Like, this isn't binary thinking race. There's these. This society is three-dimensional as opposed to a character being three-dimensional. Mm-hmm. Now the Silurians are three-dimensional. And that you have conflicting uh, agendas. 
I, I will also say, I think this was where like the television communication happened a little bit and the doctor trying to stop Ambrose from like making it worse for everybody. I just thought that was so funny. Where he like, was like, let's let Rory handle this, <laughs> yeah, please. Yeah. <laughs> but Ambrose did well in other settings. You know, she's like, we can't let her know about Alea's being dead. So she's like, no. And she's standing up over what she wants. She's like, no, you release them and then we will bring this down. Mm-hmm. Just oh, I get def- the power back. Yeah, I definitely think Rory would have had a hard time hiding the fact that Alea was dead. Whereas right. like Ambrose, you're right. She needed to come in and save the situation. It was just kind of like the doctor's not getting, I mean, like the doctor thinks Alea's dead. So like, what's the problem, Ambrose? Like just show us Alea. And, but, but yeah, I do agree with you, Frank. Like, yeah, no, Ambrose needed to step in at that point. Otherwise, uh, they thought Because I don't know what Rory would have yeah. done. He's, yeah. I mean, well, he's like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what to do. Well, but yeah. the doctor trusts him enough that he's smart enough to say something. I he, don't know how that I'm would play Gondola out. But I'm thinking driver. most other companions, if they acted like Ambrose, things would work out well. You know, Amy, I mean, uh, Rose, even saying at the beginning of the Tenants episode of the Christmas Invasion, going, she's trying to talk to them all. The... Yeah. Oh, my brain. Sycorax. The Sycorax, you know. (laughs) She's spouting all this stuff, but she's trying. (laughs) You know, and I think that's the same thing that Ambrose is doing. She's trying to take back the power and trying to go, no, this is how we're going to do it. The the doctor being the voice of reason in the moment, just really, like... It was like a (laughs) point for comedy. It was a little, no, go, give me please pass the phone over to Rory, I think. (laughs) It also just didn't help that then right after that moment, when Eldane comes in, all right, women. The, you know, I like felt you that were, too. You're like, okay, ladies. Like I the felt, man uh, is here now, yeah. and he's gonna make everything. I mean, better. I, I, I think it worked under the the the, the perspective of okay, warlord. Uh, the logician is now coming in to think clearly and not just one sided. But because of the gender situation, it did come across quite condescendingly. Ambrose convinces Tony to prepare the drill as they take Alea's body down to the Silurian city. The drill is on a timer to activate, but they will be able to turn it off when they return safely with everyone. If not, the underground civilization will be destroyed. Malachite tells the doctor that he has been awake alone for 300 years, testing human children to see how they will live and grow. He has slowed down their aging, but has not harmed any of the subjects. He releases Elliot and leaves to find out why some other chambers seem to be malfunctioning. He finds Restak preparing for war by awakening soldiers from hibernation. Restak kills him. I found that very jarring. <coughs> that she kills him or that he's been kidnapping children for <laughs> 300 years? Uh, that he was killed just like that. Yeah. But at the same time, I was like, I like this character. He, Even though he's been kidnapping, kidnapping children. This is like a problem between the first episode relying so heavily on the mysteriousness yeah. and the, yeah. the horror. Yeah, because once you start explaining, yeah. it doesn't add up. Yeah, Molika is not a good person. Right. Like, dissecting people that can talk while they're awake. Like, I don't think, oh, I don't hurt the children is, is not a And I don't even understand what... But the thing is, he does hurt the children. Yes. From what he's saying about, you know, 
the disinfectant's not going to hurt. But he says it, but has not harmed any of the subject. Yes. Yeah, he says But that. he also said the disinfectant's not going to hurt. And oh. everybody who has been disinfected, you it's, know, it's screaming and said that he's, it's hurting. Yeah. My uh, problem is it yeah. just comes yes. out of nowhere and goes nowhere. I mean, literally, it's, you know, he could he could be saying, oh, and by the way, I have 17,000 wives and I eat half of them. Now let's let's open up the door and let the child out. I mean, it doesn't have anything to do with anything. Like you know, those... the last three hundred years he was alone. Right. Not another doctor mm-hmm. except, down there, except right. for my <laughs> potted plant, Ralph. Say hi, Ralph. Audrey. Oh, Audrey, right? Sorry. Feed me. But he wasn't. A, it seemed like he and his family were also there longer than that. He yeah. didn't just awake three hundred years ago. He yeah. was with. And, and then family. again, that's sort of the flaw in this highly advanced society not picking up on the fact that this isn't a good thing. I just, I like just, that. It's almost like two I different just people wrote it. It to mean something. It doesn't mean anything. It's like, oh, yeah, let me tell you about the children that I've been torturing. Why? It just, I mean, was that was that their attempt to be like, this is how, this is the reason why we didn't kill Elliot. This is why Elliot's still stuck in. It's yeah. like that's their right align. That's the only that's reason. right align or two. I think like the the problem is is that the script and the show wants him to be a sympathetic character, like wants us to be on Molokai's side. But when you sit for a minute and say, "Wait a minute, no, he's not nice," like that's that's the problem. Is the show is trying to make us like him, and it's like, yeah. no, you don't get that. There are two things going. Yeah. That's, that's just where I feel it's not yeah. well written. I think that's why I, I thought it would seem like two different people. Yeah. The first group wrote the yeah. evil beings under the ground yeah. that are threatening and dissecting people and the other group wrote no but this guy's you know learning and seeing that we're not animals that we are sentient beings and yeah kumbaya and i'm coming from it kind of logicking my way out of it because i i like the actor and the way he portrays this character and the way i thought of it is that he was experimenting on uh, humans but then when they started to change and evolve his like lack of a better term his conscience got a bit better of him now these people are starting to talk they're starting to sort of resist and so that's why when he dies i i don't want him to die figuring out like why for me as a writer i would want him to to grow in such a way that he would help fight restack and be on the doctor's side because of the guilt that he felt about doing these experiments oh. and i'm just saying what i thought when i watched yeah. rewatch this episode yes. it's not there it's just no, what i thought I, and i think again this and i think that's the point of the way they wrote it yeah but they also didn't it was it's inconsistent writing in this character and i think this is where the type of writing of these two episodes shows its raw flaw is it's just not thought out because just with a couple sentences he could have said something along the way like and as i was doing this i realized my folly yeah totally and i would have been okay if this had been a different doctor and then the other Uh, doctor in the second episode comes in and like what are you doing (laughs) right at the talks, Amy suggests locations that are uninhabited by humans, but Nazarene worries about when their population grows. Eldane interrupts and offers advanced technology, new sources of energy and medicine exchange for those unpopulated areas. Together, they can achieve greatness for all. Rory, Tony, and Ambrose arrive with Elia's body. Ambrose confesses she killed her. Restek and the newly awakened warriors arrive and she sees her dead sister. The doctor pleads with them to consider all the lives at stake, but Restek wants vengeance. Ambrose tells them that the drill will start in 15 minutes unless they are allowed to leave. Restek and her warriors attack, but the doctor shorts out their weapons with his sonic. The humans in Eldane run and barricade themselves in a medical facility. I mean, the entire time he could have wiped out their weapons. <laughs> <laughs>
but the doctor uses the sonic like in classic where it's um vertical kind of like the way the 10th doctor used it in the end of season three with yeah the, so it's not a weapon yeah so he they consciously made the choice not to point it like a weapon except for one scene which i don't know if it was a stand-in or stunt double for the doctor who's then pointing it at them and then it cuts back when you can see his face on the other angle he's holding it up and it cuts back to see oh, yeah. the slayer it's like oops that one little thing because naturally in this incarnation you would hold it as a weapon that's what the 10th did and that's what matt does at times but i do see it that he held it up to be a device rather than a weapon and the doctor just seems to think highly of humans and not highly of Silurians because he's berating and all upset of like you could have been better you could have done better than this to Ambrose but then you know rest tack and it's like oh well that's just the way they are it's like wait a minute can't they be better you have Aldane who's like no we can try and make this happen but he's like he's not fighting them at all he's only you know berating the humans the fact that the doctor is harder on the Silurians is weird to me as well because since the third doctor he's been trying to achieve peace with this race wouldn't he want to show a little bit more compassion toward them but then looking at the big picture i'm like you should have, you should be equally forgiving on both sides just because you're trying to negotiate yeah, something <laughs> absolutely because you're the third party in this these the earth is the home for both of these species you can't show partiality to one after the timer starts, Amy reprises her role of keeping the countdown going <laughs> from, uh, was it Flesh and Stone where yes. she was doing the <laughs> countdown? Um, and also watching these two back to back, it was in, like that, that same device was used for our six minutes in the first episode of, of this arc. So watching them so close together felt a little like, oh, another ticking clock, but this time at the end. It was just a little, like, I noticed it and felt maybe you could have found a different way to, to have stakes. that same, yeah, tension. Yeah. I mean, it's easy. It's it's a good way to, like, make, ramp up the tension. But we already did it. But the drill was mutual annihilation type of thing. Mm -hmm. If you're not going to set us free, all of us are going to die. And it's, I mean, as far as using that for a device, it bookends it. Yeah. You know, but you're right. At the, at the same, at the, that's, that's the problem with this, these two episodes. It's as interesting as some things about it are it's a little too simple in its storytelling this feels better because it is at least the, the yeah. climax whereas the other one was like okay we have to do some stuff and they're gonna be here any minute and then they're and there. It's yeah and, and then whatever don't get me started on that again. <laughs> <laughs> tony continues to weaken and is mutated from the poison the doctor asks eldane if he can run the decontamination process to help as the warriors try to break in, the doctor tells Nazreen he is going to create an energy pulse that will destroy the drill. It will also collapse the tunnels, so they need to be on the surface before that happens. Eldane says he can flood the city with a gas that will force the warriors back into their sleep chambers, allowing the humans to reach the TARDIS. Yep. <laughs> that happened. Yeah. yeah. That happened. yeah. I kind of like that he went and talked to Nazreen. So is it okay we destroy your life's work? Because that's the only way we can do this. <laughs> Her just, okay, I guess got to go with that. One problem I have with like ticking clock scenarios is when they take too long to say goodbye to each other. Yes. And this was one where like. It almost was like it took six minutes. Yeah, exactly. But like, yes, the clock is ticking. Say goodbye quickly and then go. <laughs> you don't have to like 
have your life story rehashed in this moment. It's time to go. Yeah. But I know that's the, also the point is because then it makes me tense knowing that time is ticking and they're wasting it by talking. Yeah. But I like the idea of the decontamination, taking everything that's not human out. And that he, the doctor seemed to say, no, you're mutating. I want to know mutating into what? It's not going to be one of them, but it's mutating something else. That then shows back to Alea going, did she know that he's not going to die? Because in the first episode, when you're watching it, she is wondering, why aren't you dead yet? And then that gets us going, well, why isn't he dead yet? But now you're like, oh, that's not what she was doing. That was part of her whole gameplay. Yeah, and I think that's yeah, when she mind. was, when Ambrose was shooting her or hitting her with the taser, she kept coming at her. She like basically was trying to get her to kill her to, to start this war. If you have you done any other research, like the or know off the top of your head later with the Silurians, because we we do see more of their race, do we ever find an answer to what happens with their sting? Like, no, I didn't think so. No, and that's another thing that we were talking about. There's these things that are set up, but they don't ultimately have any satisfying payoff or any payoff at all. Over and over and over again. Yeah, they could have said instead of wanting to destroy the human race up top, they they could have said we're going to mutate them into us. Yeah, because that um, tongue sting is new to the Silurian race. That but was they're a purity race feeling. Uh, That's sure. what I got from yeah, I know I'm the just... two going. No, they don't like them at all. They don't want anything. It's the whole Dalek thing, you know. The vermin apes are like the apes on the surface are vermin. What do you do? You exterminate, exterminate them. Yeah. The doctor sets the sleep chambers for another thousand years and tells everyone present to get humans ready to share the planet. There isn't enough time to cure Tony before the tunnels collapse, so he decides to stay behind. Eldane begins the countdown for the gas release and the warriors return to their chambers, clearing a path to the transport tubes. Nazarene admits her love for Tony and decides to stay. They will cure him and hibernate with the Silurians. I think at one point there's uh, some more lighting. There's some green lighting instead of a red lighting to indicate danger. Mm. There's green in this, and so earlier it was yellow to indicate we're in a different world, and then now there's a green for emergency. So I thought that was um, a nice choice to say that we sort of have the same things, but just different colors because this is a different uh, species. Right. Well, the other was interesting. It says, okay, everybody follow Nazarene. <laughs> and it's like oh, yeah. everyone's stating, well, she's not moving. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, everyone go, don't go. And that's when she's afterwards, she says, I'm staying, which don't really blame her. But it is, you know, she goes, this is where my whole life is coming down here. This is not going to stay. It's just, you're going to be asleep for a thousand years. Oh, Nobody's going to be there. Jacob. And she has a relationship with Tony, you know. <laughs> we'll see how that Don't goes. They, they just at some point? They kissed earlier. They just kind of acknowledged their I, I attraction think it's, for each other. I think other. it's implied that they're a thing. Or that, that now they can. They will they be. Have e- yeah, they have, e- they have each feelings, other to be yeah. with while they're down there. Yeah. But it's new. Yeah. It only happened in this episode. It's not like they've been together no. for months or weeks so it's like but he does say, okay we'll see he does say oh come on you're not surprised and later on they go well she's going to give him hell when they wake up <laughs> you know so they know that it's not all just flowers and rainbows <laughs> but what a world i mean they'll have a whole new world to explore together and i think it's good that they have a human on their side already so when they right so back, they'll have someone to argue their case or a hot mm. <laughs> right yeah. exactly the group runs to the TARDIS, but Amy, Rory, and the Doctor see the crack from Amy's bedroom wall. The Doctor reaches inside the crack and pulls out a burnt piece of wood. Restak crawls into the cavern, dying from the gas. She shoots at the Doctor, but Rory jumps in the way to save him and dies in Amy's arms. Again. Energy from the crack reaches out toward his body. The Doctor pulls Amy into the TARDIS, where they watch the energy surround Rory. She must not forget him. She keeps trying to keep him in her memory. The doctor tells her she must remember. 
Then the TARDIS abruptly lands on the surface, knocking them to the floor, and Amy no longer remembers Rory. They say goodbye to Moe, Ambrose, and Elliot. The doctor examines the scorched piece of wood he pulled from the crack and realizes that it is part of the TARDIS. So the doctor gets Rory killed. Yeah. Rory gets Rory killed. No, the doctor nice. gets Rory killed because the doctor didn't need to stop and examine the crack. Get in the TARDIS and leave. And why are we overlooking the fact that he can put his hand in the crack and not be erased from time? Because there weren't timey-wimey tendrils after him or something? He Is had a handkerchief. Yes, he's also a time he lord. He had a, he, had a, he had a cloth over his hand. <laughs> right. Uh-huh. Yes. A time-dampening cloth. <laughs> it was dipped in convenionium. Right, right. I mean, I do like that he did use a, uh, a, a, a handkerchief. It was a perception fabric. I, I like when they mix the mundane with, you know, crazy stuff. I mean, I, I get a kick out of that. But um, the whole thing about the closer you get to the crack, you disappear from existence, and he just goes right up to it. Yeah, I hate, I hate all of this. <laughs> <laughs> I think we just... Like Whitney Houston always told us, I just, crack is whack. Yeah. Like, I hated the crack showed up. I hated that the doctor put his hand in it. I hated that Rory died. And then I hated that Amy couldn't remember him. Because I was like, it's okay. She's a time traveler. And then yeah, they, that was the other And thing then too. they made an excuse about, well, no, it's your it's story is changed. Your, yeah, your yeah. story is changed. I'm just like, it's revisionist, what? revisionist backstory. Yeah. It's like, that's I mean, a bunch of BS. Now, that being said, <laughs> I, I totally agree with you, Kelsey. But that being said, it sets up for great stories to come that you know we, we know of but in the moment exactly i think my favorite bs line telling is they're running to the tardis the top he opens up the tardis door and he tells the guest stars to go up to sick bay on the second level so that they are out of the scene so that it can just be amy and the doctor having the scene and the instant she forgets him and everything's like you know normal they come walking down the stairs going, it's bigger on the inside. It's just so badly. Yeah. yeah, it was a little sloppy. And you know, the whole thing about the revisionist backstory we were just talking about with uh, Amy, she's a time traveler, so she won't forget from the previous episodes. And it reminds me of like, um, you know, the the angels can't move if you if you are looking at them or if you just act like you are, you, mm-hmm. you know, that whole, that whole thing. I, I did not, I mean, again, this whole sequence, we, I think we agree that we don't like it, but the doctor leaving Rory's body, like, that's just, I mean, I understand that in this. Well, it was getting touched by the light already. Right. I, I understand in this particular story, that's the reason. But I, the whole thing, I mean, just felt like so cold and so, like, he knows this is going to happen to Rory and didn't pull him away quick enough. I don't know. I agree. It's It's just a hard cold-blooded yeah cold-blooded there's just a hesitation that matt smith had that it's like right he can't save rory this might if i could figure out how to use it right and that's cool to think of that way because like i said same reason i I like amy now but i didn't when i was watching these episodes but we're first-time viewers are living in these episodes and it's not paying off for that If, if i was more of a of a diehard when i was watching this season i probably would have started tuning out and if this may be the only reason that they put them watching them from 10 years ago, when yeah. Rory said, but we were on the hill, I can't die here. Right. Yeah. Just to give us a more of a heartache. Oh, absolutely. Just to rip the heart out more. That's the only reason to do it at the beginning. And, and, and again, if they had focused on that moment of them waving to have given them this false sense of security that they're going to live through this adventure, then that would have... 
a better been, payoff. Been, yeah, 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 totally. Because yeah. I imagine the line in my head, Rory's on the ground dying, and he goes, but I saw myself waving to myself. I'm supposed to live through this. And then that would have been better. That would have, like, tugged at the heartstrings. Yeah. Yeah. Save Martha. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a lot of great stuff in these two episodes. It's just sloppily written in many ways. Like, Bad Wolf has ruined um, having just standalone episodes that you can just watch. And that's why I hate that the crack shows up. So, yeah. So, I just, I don't know. I just, I'm really enjoying watching standalone episodes. Um because then I don't have to binge it then. I can like watch an episode and then like a month later check back in and watch the next episode. I don't have to remember what happened in a previous episode. Whereas like here having this crack in every single episode of this season, I think weakens the season. I guess I just don't like the focus of it because every episode until this point has been sort of a tagged on scene. Like you see the crack on the side of Starship UK. Yeah, it's always at the end. And then in... Um, uh, victory of the Daleks it the TARDIS I think materializes out and then you see it but what I don't like about this one is that it's integral to this story like we just mentioned oh, yeah. where yeah Rory dies in front of it the doctor pulls something out yeah. of it yeah. and I, I don't like it this, this also puts the story of Amy's memory is very important mm-hmm. stressed at the end of this show you know, so that's something that's happened in previous episodes, and Amy's memory is very important. And and to that, when the doctor says something about the key, and then opens the door, lets Amy in, or before she walks into the TARDIS, she says, "You boys and your locksmithery." And I and I rewounded, and I was like, "Did she say you boys?" Mm-hmm. And I'm like, is that because her memory is still sort of there? Well, she does wave to herself, and she goes, "I thought I saw somebody." So yeah. yeah. Her memory has a little bit in there. Because in Vampires of Venice, it's like, Amy and my boys, or, you know, right. something like that. Yeah. yeah. I did like how they faded to white on all her memories. So as they're erasing, she's remembering him, and it's like fading away to white. I kind of like that. And um, a lot of those were from episodes we had previously seen, but there's the one where they're walking through, a, like, a forest, and he almost trips. They, I think that's a new... They shot that specifically for this episode. Uh, and then at the end, Eldane's voiceover again... Bookends these this specific episode. The the losses he suffered then, and the greater losses still to come. I'm like, why do you need to? You put in the crack, you get that, and then you put in this thing, and then you're like, you're just teasing the hell out of this thing. So just for official count, I'm making this Rory's second death in my head. I think that's right. Because I I know the first one was in a dream within a dream, but yeah. it's still. I mean, for for an audience member, it wasn't Rory a real died. death, but it was a death. Yes. I'd say this is one. <laughs> I'm saying two. We'll fight later. The next time we might see Rory die. Oh, the other thing uh, was that the doctor eats grass instead of licking it like or sniffing right. it. So that and was they a, ask him, when did you get so gross? Is, is, you like, always so gross? He's like, like, this like, no, is a recent thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tenant would lick things and then Matt Smith. Well, yeah. I thought it was a reference to the new Who. Yeah. yeah, that too. Rather than classic Who. Like the old, the original doctors weren't as visceral and oh, disgusting. I took it as eating is worse than licking, but yeah, I guess maybe so. I'm like, this is a new oh, development. Nine episodes in. All right. So, Cold Blood, does this live up to the promises set up in the first episode, The Hungry Earth? Yeah, I think so. I think it's 
just as interesting and sloppily written as the fir- <laughs> as the first one. It's like interesting in a good way, sloppily written in a bad way. And I think things do pay off, but not to the extent we expected them to be. So sure, I say yes. It does tell a complete story. I I wouldn't say it lives up to promises, but I think it. I definitely like the second episode, the second part, better than the first part. So to me, I'm gonna I'm gonna say yes. I'll agree. I think it does live up to the first episode. I wish these were all one episode that was maybe like 10% from the first episode. And I'm glad we got to see the Silorians. I know they'll keep coming back. And yeah, I'll say yes. Uh, yeah, it does. Um, it's kind of annoying, but so was the first half. So it's fine. Yeah, I will say that this does uh, live up to the first half. And um, I don't know. I just It's hard to say yes because... I don't like the the tonal shifts between the two episodes. To me, they could be completely separate episodes, but they tell one story, which is very bizarre. So that wraps up Cold Blood. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next time when the future becomes the present. You've just listened to an episode of Who Knew? Our wonderful theme music is by Michael Grady. Find him on Facebook at The Universe Explodes. All our episodes are engineered by Auburn. You can find him at auburnbinkley.com. You can also find this show in several places. Follow us on Twitter at Who Knew Podcast. Subscribe, review, and listen to us on iTunes and Stitcher. Or our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Who Knew Podcast. All our episodes are on whonewpodcast.com. Visit our Facebook page. Please leave comments, reviews, and click like to help support Who Knew Podcast. To listen to our show on your Amazon Echo device, enable the AnyPod podcast skill. Ask AnyPod to play the Who Knew Podcast. This podcast is inspired by Doctor Who. The longest-running sci-fi show in history. And especially the revival, spearheaded by Russell T. Davis. Thanks to Russell, Sidney Newman, Verity Lambert, Ron Grainer, Delia Darbyshire, and all those involved in the adventures of our favorite Time Lord. Your work continues to inspire and entertain. Um, but, I mean, I, 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 I bought Nazarene's choice. And I do stay. hope they go back to her. I would love to have Jodie Whittaker meet up with her going, you know, look oh, me up again. that would be fun. Yeah. It's like, I want to still stop right. off at that point. I want, because I like this actress and I like this character. Because, because it is Chris Chibnall, so he could go back and revisit yeah. his story. That would be good. And Jodie Whittaker and the Silurians would be an interesting combination too. That should be the name of the episode, Jodie Whittaker and the Silurians. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, having the female doctor with a lot yeah. of strong female characters that we yeah. have in this episode. Yeah. So just yeah, you know, building off of that. Chris, if you're listening, make it happen.